Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Church, a place of grace where people far from God experience life in Christ. Sit back and relax and listen to today's message and be blessed. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, originally from Colombia, I'm a Colombian. I was born in Colombia, raised in New York, married a woman from New Jersey, and ended up in Hackensack. That was the first year that we were living together, so <clears throat> you figure it out. And this area was very dear to me in my heart. I'm very uh, moved when it comes to uh, when I see uh, signs of addiction and signs of uh, inner city problems, you know, young school kids who are at risk. And so I always uh, felt in my heart that at some point I would come to Hackensack. And then I asked Pastor Bill Von Husen, who's my senior pastor, he's also my boss, and um, I said, anytime you want to do something in Hackensack, you let me know. I was, uh, at the time, uh, a part of Faith Fellowship Ministries in South Jersey. I don't know if you're familiar with David T. DeMola. And he said, well, I just happened to... Uh, Want to be doing something, and he put it together. Well, in about two, three months, I think it was uh, the first time we got this thing together, man. It just came together. You know, when things get together, you know it's God. And we had the outreach at the HM uh, building in the Hackensack area, along with Father Brian Lafferty, uh, Bill Von Houston, Pastor Arthur, Pastor Hernando from the Spanish church there in Hackensack. And this thing just came together, and, and there was such a response from the community that we said, we got to do this again. And then, of course, this past year, for many of you that were there, we had Nicky Cruz come, and he gave his testimony, and he preached the gospel. And so Arthur and I, we've become friends through this entire City Surf thing, and we've been talking about me coming and, and sharing, and, and praise God, it's, it's, you know, it's God's time. You know, we want to do things. Oh, I'm just move this. I move around a lot, you know. They say Italian. I'm not Italian. Italians, if you tie their hands, they can't talk. Or if, if Colombians and Spanish people, if you tie their feet, they can't talk. Because I like to move around, you know. I like to move around. And I, 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 I need the room set over here. I hope you don't mind me doing this. Because uh, in a little while, I'm, you're going to know why. No. Um, I believe, I believe I was so changed when I was saved. I, in 1987, I was so stuck on crack cocaine. I was an addict. And I mean, I was an addict. I sold everything. I sold everything I owned. I sold everything I owned to smoke crack. It was just, it had me. You understand? It was my bondage. It was my life. It was my passion. It's what I lived for. That's what I did. I was an addict. And when I tell people I'm not ashamed of the past because I know where God brought me from, I know that even though it's, it was an ugly lifestyle, it so much magnified the power of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, how God is able to do with someone who's just willing to put their life into God's hands. And so for me, it was a transformation process that took place I went through many programs. I went through many programs. I didn't just go to one program. 
You know, we think, you know, we hear, you know, I'd love to be able to give you the, the testimony that God delivered me right away, you know, but he didn't. He chose to allow me to walk through a process. Now, I have friends who are in ministry who have great testimonies, and they, they'll tell you, God delivered me, and that's great because he can. But for whatever reasons it was, and at, at the time I could not understand, God was allowing me to walk through a process that today has become my testimony. And today has allowed me to understand the weaknesses of people and how we are able. Listen, even after we know Jesus, even after we come to God, we're still humans and we have to walk through a process. And so this way as Christians, we don't walk through this, this facade. That life is, you know, oh, I'm so holy, I don't make no mistakes, or, or look at me. No, listen, we're human beings. We are, in, we are imperfect people in the hands of a perfect God. And, you're, and we're walking through this process. I thank God right now today, I am clean, I am, I am clean, I am not looking to sell my, my car, I'm not looking to sell my baby's clothes, I'm not looking to do any of that. You see what I'm saying? through this process, and today I'm able, I'm an assistant pastor at the, uh, here at the Summit Church of Pastor Bill on Houston. My wife and I both serve under Pastor Bill. We're also on the board of City Serve, and I am the evangelist. I have the same uh, title you do, brother. I'm the outreach coordinator, you know? <laughs> I do that. I, we do outreach, and we, you know, trying to, trying, trying to make something happen here in, in the city of Hackensack, and this is how Pastor Arthur and I have become friends. I have four children. I have a wonderful wife. Uh, God has shown me some very, very strong lessons through my marriage. Through my marriage. This is one of the core uh, parts of my, of my, uh, my message is, uh, is sonship. Sonship. The spirit of sonship. And I want you to remember that word because the, the lady, she was speaking. I tell you, she, she, she said it all. You know, because sonship is such a powerful, powerful dynamic in the Christian mindset. Because this is who God is. God is a father. And sons need to know who their father is. And for me, it has been a process. See, I didn't have a father. I had a father, but he wasn't a father. So I learned, and I had some very bad concepts about what fatherhood was. And so what happens is, because we're humans... Right? We, what we do is we take our points of references, whatever your point of reference is, whatever you learned in your natural life about fatherhood, about, about parenthood, about being a sibling, those concepts, after you become born again, you take those concepts and you bring them into your Christianity and you try to develop your Christian walk through what you know. And so if you've been blessed and you've had a great upbringing where you've been blessed by a functional or parents, then your relationship to God is an automatic transition, and it becomes good. But if you're like me, you have a dysfunctional idea of what fatherhood is, of what parenting is, of what sonship is, you bring that into your relationship with the Father, Father God. And then God has to undo a bunch of stuff before he can bring in some of the new stuff. Do you understand? And so this has been a process for me, this spirit of sonship, this idea of sonship, this idea of fatherhood, this idea of, of, of believing that my father loves me in spite of who I am. 
that my father was going to take care of me in spite of what I do. Because when my children get in trouble, I punish them. I discipline them. But when it's dinner time, they don't come to the table hoping that I feed them. You understand? They come to the table expecting me to feed them because I'm their father. And even though they're in trouble with me, and even though they're under discipline, they still have the confidence to know that I'm going to take care of them because I'm their father. And so God is the same way with us. Even when we drop the ball, and even when we do stupid things, even when we do ignorant stuff, he's still our father. And so in the process, he begins to teach us lessons. Because along with privilege, guess what? There's also responsibility. You see? So you can't mix the privilege and the responsibility. Yet they both have to be weaved together, and then we become what they call mature Christians. So ladies and gentlemen, this, this morning, I, I, I want to thank you. I, I want to preach a word. That's not the word. I want to go to the text. Okay? But I just want to share with you where my heart is. You know, I look at my children. I love my babies. I love my little six-year-old, right? Yeah, he knows my family. Man, I just love when my son hugs me, and he just, he just feels safe in my arms. You know, he knows that, that everything's okay, that daddy's here, and there's nothing going to go wrong. That's how I want to be with my father. My daddy in heaven. That's how I, I want to know that. Uh, for me, it's an ongoing process. And, and it's, it's something that, I, that I, 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 I don't work towards it in the sense that I work for it. But it's something that I want. I want to know God in that way. I want to know God in a way where he is the only thing that I need. And nothing is going to move me. You see? Because that is what the power of sonship, the power of fatherhood, the power of faith, knowing your father in that type of way is when nothing is going to move us. We just got through some storms. We just got through our two, two very big storms. And do you know that there's been people that have been literally cursing God because of the storm? Because they don't know God. They don't know his, the father. They don't know the father. And so their perspective of God is evil. You see, from a son's perspective, I recognize that God it will allow certain things, but he's still in control. And he's still my father. And it's always, the Bible says, every good and perfect gift is from our father up above, from the father of heavenly lights. Never attribute anything evil to, to God. God is good. And God is faithful. God will always take care of you. God will always look out for you. He'll correct you. He'll discipline you. He might even allow some things to happen so you'll learn your lesson. And that's okay because daddies are going to do that. But he will always, always take care of us. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you this afternoon, Lord, for your word that is about to come forth. Lord, I thank you, God, for this congregation, Pastor Arthur and his lovely wife. I thank you for the ministry, God, that you just showed us, Lord, about the boxes. I'm sorry, I don't know the name. But, Father, in Jesus' name, I just... I just thank you right now for everything that has taken place up to this point. And now I'm asking you, God, anoint my lips, anoint our ears, God. Open our hearts and let us, God, to know you. That we may walk out of this place knowing you more deeply, Father. That your word will reach our hearts. Father, that the kingdom of God would be established in this city. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I want you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew. 
and go right to the end because I want to speak in my opening text. I want to speak on what they call the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, last chapter, verse 18. Give me a loud amen when you're there, please. Okay, I'm going to wait. I hear some, paper, some papers ruffling, so I'm going to wait a minute. How many know what the Great Commission is? Amen, show me hands. How many, how many know what the Great Commission is? The Great Commission, ladies and gentlemen, is the commission that Jesus gave the disciples right before he went into heaven. Now, the portion that you read here in Matthew is the same portion that you read in the book of Acts. That after, four, after, his, has, after his resurrection, he spent at least 40 days on the earth showing himself. And then it's at this point that we're going to read where he commissions the apostles. Now they are apostles. Before they were disciples. How many know you got to be a disciple before you can become an apostle? And so... Now they're apostles, and he's giving them a commission. And he's saying to them, right here, verse 28, he says, And Jesus came and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you. And, lo, I am with you always even until the end of the age. This great commission is what the church today is, we're living this out. There are many people in this, this here this morning, you're sitting here and you're saying to yourself, okay, I'm here, I'm in church. What is my commission? Where is my purpose? Where, what is the plan that God has for my life? And God has assigned each and every one of us a commission. There's a commission in your life. There's a, there is a purpose and a reason why you're sitting where you're sitting. There's a reason why you're hearing this word this morning. And there's a reason why God is speaking and giving and, 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 and telling us about this great commission. When I was in my addiction, I never thought I was going to preach the gospel. That was the last thing in the world. You hear what I'm saying? I did not. This is not what I was thought I was going to do. I wanted, I wanted to be a businessman. I wanted to have money. I wanted to have toys. Listen, I was not going to be a preacher. But God, God has an appointment that sometimes we don't always understand. When the disciples, and, the, and they, when he first met them, they were doing their own thing. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were tax collectors. And none of them had an inkling of an idea that their destiny was going to be changed and transformed by their encounter with Jesus. So here we find them at the end of a three-year ministry where Jesus had now finished with them discipled them, he ate with them, he slept with them, he walked with them, he talked with them, he preached to them, he taught them about ministry, he gave them exercises in ministry and watched them perform it, and now he's leaving. And he's commissioning them, saying, everything that I've taught you, now you teach. 
You teach first. You teach in your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. In other words, you start in your own backyard, and you begin to preach the gospel, and you begin to tell people about what God has done in your life. And so, this gospel that they learned, they were now being receiving a commission. Do you know what a commission is? Commission is an assignment. It's, a, it's, it's an exact, absolute thing that only you are called to do. Nobody else is called to do what you're called to do. No one. There is no one that can do what you were called to do better than you. It is your commission. It's what you were called to do. We have a sense, or we don't have an, we don't have an understanding... That the call of God, when God calls us, when he calls us, he doesn't call us hoping we will respond. He calls you knowing you were going to respond because it is his power that called you and pulled you. The Bible says in the Gospel of John that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that you were able to respond to the Gospel of Jesus. So it's the same power that enables you to fulfill and accomplish the commission that is in your life. Turn with me also now to the Gospel of Mark. I'm going ahead of myself because I want to go a little bit behind now because now I want to speak to you a little bit about the process that God will sometimes bring us through in order to bring about the commission in our life. Because there's never going to be anything that God has called you to do unless he first prepares you to do it. There is a preparation process. There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in between. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what, pro what, what, what area of the process you're in. I don't know if you just became a Christian. I don't know if you're even not a Christian. We'll give you an opportunity this morning, right? We'll give you an opportunity to receive the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you're in the middle of your process. I don't know if you're at the end where you're ready to receive your commission. I don't know. I do know this, that when God calls us, he calls us with a specific intention, and he has an absolute process that is designed for each and every one of us that is different from the next person, even though they might be identical, yet they're perfectly made for you. We just recently went through a storm. And let me tell you, I was watching people, I, was, I watch people's responses, you know? And I see even Christians. Some Christians were, they weren't understanding certain. See, because being a Christian doesn't always mean that things are going to go well. Being Christians doesn't always mean that God is going to spare us from the hard times of life. Being a Christian doesn't mean any of that. What it, being a Christian means is that our character is being developed into the character of Jesus. That is what's called a Christian, Christ-like. Yes? Look at this with me, please, in, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 30, verse 45. I'm going to read a story to you. I'm going to read a story to you. I can't see that clock. Is that 1205? And 105? 105? 105? Okay. 
I said 101. I got 101. Okay. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he sent the multitude away. And when he sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them straining at the rowing of the boat, for the wind was against them. And now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed by them. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him, and they were troubled. But immediately he talked with them, and he said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he went up into the boat with them, and the winds ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves, because beyond the measure, and they marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. The last verse, verse 52, you will not understand it unless you first read prior to the text. You will find that this immediately took place after they fed the 5,000. And it's a story where Jesus takes some loaves of bread and some fishes, and he feeds 5,000 people. And now this little story that we just read is what takes place after this. That's why the writer includes it in the text. And what he's saying is, he says, Jesus says to them, okay, now we got to go to the other side. And this is, this, is, this is what God does. He says, okay, we got to go somewhere. And the interesting thing is to me is that Jesus knew what he was doing and where he was sending them. He says to them, we got to get to the other side, but he, he, he put them on the boat. He says, I'm not going with you. I'll see you. I'll see you on the other side. So sometimes God will commission us on this journey, and he will kind of seem like he's kind of leaving us alone, and he kind of takes a step back and watches us as we begin to take this journey to the other side, to wherever that other side is, to wherever that commission is, to wherever that purpose is, and he watches from a distance, watching how you and I will respond to the storm. And so he's watching in this portion of Scripture. He's watching from a distance. Now, we don't know if he was seeing with his visual, uh, natural eyes, or he was perceiving it because he was, he was, he was uh, being helped by the Holy Spirit. But he, was, he, he knew that they were straining at the oars. Because at night, now, at night, you know, it's interesting to me because at night, it says at night, at night, the winds began to blow. This is the opportunity that darkness will always take. You understand? Darkness, the spirit that is against us, will always look for an opportune time to come against you when you're on your way to the other side. We'll always look for an opportunity. And you know what it is? Because nighttime always represents darkness. It represents not only darkness, visual darkness, but spirit of darkness. It's the time when the devil and the spirits that are against us, the Bible says, we do not struggle against flesh and blood, right? We, but we struggle against powers and principalities. They have used an opportune time. 
And they watch as God is processing us and God is building us. And they wait for a time to say, they're alone. Jesus is not in the boat. And so this is an opportunity time that the devil will use to come against us, to stop us from getting to the other side. But Jesus knew that. He says, I still want you to get to the other side. And what happens when the devil comes against us? What happens when, when situations get difficult? What happens when the storms come and our houses get hit? What happens when our children are not living the way they're supposed to? What happens when our own sinful natures maybe begin to rage up inside of us and we begin to act inconsistently with who we are? What happens when all these things that are called dark begin to occur? What happens? We find ourselves straining to get to the other side. We find ourselves trying to get to the other side on our own strength. We find ourselves trying to do it in our own strength. Because the situation has gotten so difficult, we've allowed the storm to encamp us. We've allowed the situation to, to surround us. We've now lost focus on who we are and who's in, who's, who, who, who put us in the boat in the first place. We forget about the commission. We abandon everything that we know is true, and we begin to try to do it ourselves. And we're straining at the oars. And the devil's saying, like, yeah, keep going, buddy, because you're not going anywhere. Because you're just sitting in the same spot. You're not going nowhere. Because we try to do it on our own strength. And Jesus was watching. God is watching. He's not upset. He's not upset. He's put you in the boat. He sends you on your way. He's not upset, but he's watching. Because it's character development. Sometimes we have to experience certain things before we can make some right decisions. I heard one time this banker story about a, a young man who had graduated school for economics. And he went into the bank and he told the bank manager, he says, to, he says I want a job. Bank manager says, okay. You want to bet? He says, I want to be a success. Bank manager says, okay, you want to be a success? He goes, I can answer you. That, I can answer that question in two words. Good decisions. He says, whoa, great. Okay, okay, okay. He says, I'm going to be a success. I'm going to make good decisions, but... How do I make good decisions? He says, I can answer that in one word. Experience. He says, oh, experience. Okay, okay, okay. Experience. How do I get the experience? Oh, I can answer to you in two words. Bad decisions. Yeah. You want to be a success, man? You got to make some good decisions. You want to make some good decisions? You got to get some experience. And... Ladies and gentlemen, you can't make, get no experience unless you make some bad decisions. It's going to happen, you know? And so God kind of works the same way. He is going to allow us to go through some bad times and allow us and give you the grace. Not a license. I'm not telling you you have a license to sin. I'm not telling you you can just live any way you want to live. That is not the message I'm preaching. Please don't go back and tell my pastor that I'm telling you to do you, that, that I'm, allowing, I'm telling you you can go and live the way you want to live. No, 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 no. There are certain times when God will allow us to experience the, the situation 
because it will give us a better understanding of who we are. So we can understand that whatever it is that we're called to do and whatever it is that we're, we're commissioned to do, we cannot do it alone. It's impossible. And it will develop our dependency on him. Because if he's the one who's commissioned you, then he's the one who must give you the power to fulfill your commission. And so now Jesus begins to walk. And he's walking on the storm. You ever walk in a storm? I mean, it's hard enough to walk on water, but what about in the storm? And he's walking through a storm. Now he's walking there. He's walking. The boat's right there. And, and, and I got to do this because the Bible says that he, he was walking by them as, he was gonna, as if he was going to go past them. You know, and then, and he's passing them, and they're probably looking and saying, Jesus, because they say, well, how could you be walking by us? And it's, you know, it's instinctive in the character of Jesus. If you watch this, and you read the Gospels, and you study the Bible, you'll see that there's a lot of lessons that God teaches us, uh, uh, the object lessons. It, he, it's, like, it's like Jesus kind of pulls and draws out of you a response. It's, he's trying to pull a response out of you. Because there's something in you that has to come out. And so he's drawing it out of you. Because he has to draw it out of you. And sometimes he almost has to make believe he's walking by. Like he, you don't even count. Yeah. Yeah. You know that he did that to the disciples in, what was it, in the book of Luke at the end. When the two disciples were walking with him. And they were telling him about, don't you hear about this Jesus? And, and he made believe he was keeping on walking. Why? Because he wanted them to invite him. He says, no, no, no. Stay with us. He was drawing out a response out of disciples. He did it to the woman who, who was a Gentile. And he says to her, why should I give the bread to the dog? She was calling her a dog. He was pulling a response out of her. And she says, yes, but even dogs get the bread from their, the crumbs on the master's table. He says, oh, look, at that's faith. See? Because sometimes, unseemingly, God will have to allow you to go through something so you can draw out of you what he's already deposited in you. Because it's there. It's there. He's got to draw it out of you. Because God will never ask you anything he hasn't prepared you to do. And if he's pulling something out of you, it's because he deposited it in you. And he's giving you this faith. He's giving you the faith. But sometimes we don't know it's there. We don't know it's there. And so the storm brings us to a place where we got to use it. we got to use that faith. I says, use it, it's there. Gave it to you. And so they're calling him, Jesus! He's walking on water. They're struggling. They're scared. Now he says to them, be a good cheer. Don't be afraid. I need more comforting words than that. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Don't be afraid. I'm here. When the Apostle Paul was, was, was in a ship and it was going down, if you read it in the book of Acts, everybody thought they were going to die. And you know what the Apostle Paul says? Don't worry about it. I'm here. And I just talked to God. And he told me I got to get to the other side because I'm supposed to be in Rome. I'm here. 
Jesus is with me. Don't worry. The storm is not going to kill you. That's what the world wants to know. The world wants people, or they need someone who's going to tell them, don't be afraid. I'm here. Now, they might not verbally or physically understand who Jesus is. They might not be able to put their hands on it. But they can see through our witness, through my lifestyle, when there's a storm going on. You understand? Because there are people who are going to go crazy during the storm. They're going to get excited. They're going to get all chaotic during the storm. But when they are watching somebody just walking through the storm, they're saying, how are you able to walk through this storm when I'm sinking? And then you're going to say to them, I'm here. Don't be afraid. It's through our witness. When the storms of life come, and the people of the world begin to recognize that we don't respond the same way. That the same storm that's sinking their boat is allowing you to walk. You're walking through the same storm that's sinking them. The same way that the same storm was sinking the disciples, Jesus was walking through it. He says, now I've commissioned you to do bigger and better things that I've done. That when there's a storm in the world, even though they're sinking, you're able to walk with it. Let them see it so they can come to you and say, who are you? Why is it that you're able to walk through this storm and I'm sinking? Why is it that I have to turn to, 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 to this and that and you're, you're, you're blessing God? Why is it that I'm cursing God and you're blessing God? Why is it when you come to work and there's always a smile on your face? Why is it that every time I speak to you, there's hope in your life? Why is it that there's something different about you? Because in the storm, we're able to walk through it like Jesus. And this is what the world wants to see. We're talking about commissions. We're talking about missions. And believe me. We can give nice things away and we can take care because that's part of the gospel. But God, Jesus never said to us, he, he did not command us to go witnessing. Jehovah Witnesses go witnessing. Mormons go witnessing. I'm sorry. I get a little bit excited still, yeah. They go witnessing. That's witnessing. You knock on the door and you give. That's witnessing. That is not what we've been commissioned to do. He said, be a witness. He didn't say go witness. He said, be a witness. You be a witness. Why? Your life. Your life is a witness. You're a witness to who God is. When people see you walking the way you're walking, when people see you responding the way you're responding, when people see the hope in your life, they're going to see a witness of who God is. Be a witness. Yes, share the gospel. Knock on doors. Do what you, if, if that's who you are and that's what you do, by all means, be a witness. I've seen some of the biggest people who are heading on tracks, but their lives do not add up to what they're doing. That's not a witness, my friend. Be a witness in your hope, in your un. Your, your determination to stick and to trust God in spite of the storm that you're in. That's what the world is looking for. They're looking for hope, Pastor Arthur. They want to know how a crackhead can get behind a pulpit. They want to know how a crackhead can get behind a pulpit. 
How is it that God is able to take me out of the crack house and put me behind the pulpit? People want to know how that's, that's, that's possible. I tell them it's possible. Only through God. It's possible. The Great Commission. When Jesus empowered his disciples, he says, stay in Jerusalem. He says, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the gift that I promised you. That gift is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the empowerment of your commission. When we begin to try to make or do the commission or fulfill the power, the things that God has called us to do in a power other than ourselves, if it's not the power of the Holy Spirit, it is without nothing. It can produce outward results, but it has no effect and it has no bearing on the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of God that we are building. It is the kingdom of God that we are establishing. And Jesus says that the only ones who will ever receive a reward from God are those who do his will, not those who do ministry. Ministry does not guarantee us an entrance into heaven. It is the will of God. It is your assignment, your commission. And you know what you're responsible to do? Whatever it is God's called you to do. You're not responsible to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not responsible for your commission. I'm responsible for my commission. Because Jesus told Peter, don't worry about him. If I want him to live forever, he'll live forever. You worry about it. You just follow me. See? Because we're so interested, right? And everybody else's calling. And everybody else's assignment. And everybody else's life. But we're, not, we're, we're, we're responsible for our own. That's my commission. My commission is to be a good father. Be a good husband, to be a good pastor, and to preach the gospel in that order. In that order. Preaching the gospel is the last thing that I do. Being a father and a husband is the first thing that I do because I preach my best message in my home. I preach my best message in my home. People are impressed by things. God is not impressed by outward appearance. God sees the heart. God sees the heart. Find your commission. Find it. Embrace it. Get a hold of this man's vision. Get a hold of it. And make it your own. Embrace it. Catch it. Then make it yours. And you fulfill it. And you can stand next to him. And you can do what God's called to do this gathering church to do. Don't worry about what the summit church is doing. Don't worry about what the church down the block is doing. Don't worry about what the other denominations are doing. Don't worry, worry about what the commission of the gathering church is. What God has placed in the heart of that man. And how you're able to get beside him and fulfill the commission. Once you find your calling and your purpose. And you find the vision that, and make it yours. It has to be yours. See, Jesus gave his disciples a commission, but he prepared them. He prepares us to fulfill 
that commission. You're not going to do it on your own. You're not going to do it on your own. And when we do find ourselves doing that on our own, you know what the greatest sign is? We find ourselves straining at the oars, trying to get to the other side. Trying, you know, Jesus is like, these guys, don't they understand? You know, sometimes we can be knuckleheads. You know, it's like God has to give us all sorts of lessons, man. We got to go. You know, it's like I got, I got bumps on my head from so many times just hitting my head. It was like, God, you know, it's like, dude, are you tired yet? No, okay, well, keep hitting your head. When you're ready, I'll leave. You know, because, because we're humans, and we have this, un, we have this appetite for, for, for pain. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's how I've been. I mean, I'm a minister, but I am still a human. And God sometimes has to just put me in my place and say, listen, you're my son first. Then you're a pastor. See, God called us into sonship. When Jesus modeled to his disciples, he didn't decide, he didn't model ministry. He didn't model miracles. Yeah, he did that stuff. That's what he did. It's like a doctor doing what he does best. He heals people, right? He, that's what he did. He didn't model ministry. He modeled sonship. He showed his disciples how a son commutes with his father. How a son is able to do the impossible because of his relationship with his father. How a son responds to his father and how a father watches out for his son. They saw it firsthand. They watched this in Jesus. He says, now that which I gave you, you do. Because now the Bible says what in James, in John chapter 1 verse 12. He says, for as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become sons of God. And this is what we have, the power of sonship. I can't approach God any other way. When I'm in trouble, it's all about, Daddy, I screwed up. Here I am. Where do we go from here? It's not, oh, my God, he's never going to talk to me again. I'm done. No, it's, it's my father. Because he's bringing us in a process. And it's a process that it takes time to grow. I have three boys, 17, 11, and 6. My daughter, she's the best. She doesn't give me no problems. But my boys, they're problems. Because <laughs> boys are always problems, right, brother? <laughs> we're all problems. Man, men, I don't know. We're, we're just like, we're, Adam really messed up. You know? I'm telling you. Men have issues in this world because of sin. We're an angry creation. But I don't expect my six-year-old, my little Joshi, Joshua, I don't expect him to do the things that my 11-year-old does. And I will not ask my 11-year-old to do the things that, my, that I expect from my 17-year-old. Every single one of them is my son. They're all in the sonship position. Because sonship is a position. But there's stages of sonship. So God, in his father role, will deal with you always as a son and daughter. Always as a child. The word son in the Greek is generic for both male and female. 
he doesn't deal with you according to your actions. He deals with you according to your position. Because if he would deal with us according to our actions, we're done. It's not about your actions. It's about your position. You have been positioned to be a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you have the privilege of running to your father. And yes, daddy's going to discipline you. Because guess what? Discipline is also part of sonship. But so is blessing. And so is privilege. And so is power. And so is prosperity. And so is all those things that children expect from their parents. And the world is looking for this, ladies and gentlemen. They're looking for a father. They're looking for the father because that's who they're running from. They're running from their spiritual father. Who greater than the church to display the power of sonship to a world that's looking for a father? We're looking at fathers. Males are looking to all, I, I tell you, drug addicts. I mean, every addict that I counsel has a father issue. There's an issue with the father. Somewhere along the line, authority got clipped. Points to God. We have that commission. We're commissioned to be sons and daughters of the Most High God because sons and daughters know who their father is. And when the storms come, they know where to run to. When trouble comes, they know where to hide. Father, Daddy, Abba. The Greek word Abba means Daddy. Daddy, not Father. Oh, omnipotent father. Yes, there's a place for that. No, daddy. Daddy, because daddy's where I'm safe. Daddy's where I feel I'm okay. And you know what? I was a tough guy in Brooklyn. I was. I had to be. Because I had nobody to protect me when I was a kid. I had no one to protect me. I never knew what protection was. You understand? When I came to God, I didn't know that part about him. I didn't know that about I knew he would discipline me. I knew he would punish me. That I knew. Because my father taught me that. But I never knew what protection was. I never knew what comfort was. You know? Now I do. Now I do. Now I know I'm safe. I don't need to fight. I don't need to put up a struggle. I, don't even, I, don't need, I do not need to explain myself. I don't need to be right. I just know I'm safe. I have a relationship with my father. And when people see me, that's my witness. And when the world sees us in the storm, you know, throughout the storm, even some Christians pass out, out the, they're like, oh, no, no. Well, like my wife and I are like, yeah, well, listen, oh, no lights, okay, light candles. No, no heat, okay, we'll get wood, we'll put it in the fireplace. There's an answer to everything. You know, no food, okay, uh, you know, it's like, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. And instead of worrying about what we were, we got up, we got into our cars, we went out and we helped other people. Because we're great people. Because I don't worry about myself very much anymore. I'm okay with who I am. My daddy is more than sufficient for me. And that's the message we preach to the world. You want, you, you want security? You got to know my God. You got to come to Jesus. You got to come to him. I'm telling you, 
It, I'm, this is not a joke. This is not a show. This is not a facade. This is not theatrics. This is who we are. Because God will always be faithful to his children. And so this evening, this afternoon, I, I want to encourage you. As you witness, be a witness. When you go through the storm, Jesus is right there with you. And when you're in the storm, people are watching to see how you go through the storm. Because they want to see if there's hope. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand with me this evening?